Welcome back to another volume of Truly Disturbing Tales from Reddit. Today we're going to be narrating three new unsettling stories taken directly from the platform. I encourage you all to sit back, grab a snack, and enjoy these terrifying personal accounts. Now, without any further delay, let's jump right in. This story takes place just a few nights back, and to be honest, I'm still wrapping my head around what I almost walked into. For background, I'm a 23-year-old dude, Bay Area native, and currently a law student at one of the oldest law schools in San Francisco, California. My school itself is not in the best part of the city. A lot of things that plague big metro areas happen to be visible the moment you step off campus. Although, it's one of those things that you know about living here. For the most part, one is able to just go about your day without it being a real impediment 99% of the time. But there's always that chance. So, it's relatively late in the evening and me and my girlfriend are lounging in my dorm. I'm half watching whatever she put on Netflix while also scrolling through Instagram on my phone. All while she dozed off while laying across me on the couch. She happened to surprise me when she sat up and said that she needed to move her car off of the street. Parking here, for those that have cars, is not always the most convenient. There's a student lot that we pay for access to use, but being that it is down the block from where most of us students reside, it can be less inviting to park so far from the front doors of our building. Many people will look for street parking, only continuing onto the student lot if there are no openings to be found. This isn't typically an issue, except for the first and third Thursday evenings of the month because of the street sweeping early the next morning. And as broke students, most of us will do all we can to avoid getting that expensive parking ticket. I was born and raised in San Francisco, and I haven't ever really needed a car. Most things are accessible by public transportation out here, and I never really wanted to worry about a set of wheels. My girlfriend is from a town out in the boonies, so all she knows is being able to drive herself. And if we're really getting down to it, that's the cause of this entire thing. As she sits up and groggily goes to slide on her shoes to go down and move her car to the lot, I see this as an opportunity to do the boyfriendly thing. I tell her that I'll be glad to go move her car so she doesn't have to leave her comfy spot on the couch, and because I'm still more or less dressed to walk out the door. She says thank you, tells me that her car is at the end of the block, and then plops back down on the couch. I stand myself up, make my way to the door with her keys in hand and nothing else in my pockets. I walk down the communal hallway to the elevators and press the down button for the lobby. When I land down there, I step out and make my way to the front door of the building, passing the security check-in desk off to the right. I make eye contact with the night security guy, give him the classic dude nod, which he returns in kind, as I step out into the crisp evening. My first step out of the building kind of floods my senses with city noise, and city smells. The sound of a muni bus a block or two away, the sounds of incoherent screaming a little further off, and the ever-present smell of urine. Okay, let's find this car. While she said it was at the end of the block, she didn't say which way or where exactly, 
so it's on me to figure this one out. I start on my side of the street, clicking her key fob to see if I can hear or see the horn honk or lights flicker, but nothing. I walk up the block a little ways, doing the same thing, when I finally see the lights of her Volkswagen Jetta light up in the distance on the opposite side of the street. Alright, cool. One step down. I make my way to the car, climb in, and settle. My girlfriend is a bit shorter than myself, so the first thing I have to do is adjust the seat, so I'm not driving anywhere with my knees to my chest. I find the right spot, and go to turn the car on, getting ready to pull off. I put the car into drive to maneuver out of the spot, but before I move an inch, a few things happen. One, I realize that I can't see anything out of her mirrors due to how I move the seats. And two, this particular vehicle, when the car is put into gear, it will automatically lock the doors. Something that I think that I knew, but up until this point, absolutely paid no attention to. So with the car in gear now, I go to adjust the mirrors, when, out of the corner of my eye, I see something at the driver's side window. I turn my head to face it, and after a moment of my eyes adjusting to the low light outside, I see a man standing inches from the car, lean down, peering right in at my face. From what I can tell, the dude was probably in his early 50s or so, looked a bit scraggly, and had all the earmarks of a homeless individual if I'd ever seen one. As I'm trying to assess what's going on and why this guy is just staring at me, he mouths a few words. I don't know if he said anything aloud or if he expected me to read his lips, but that's when I said, What? He responds this time, in full volume. Where is she? Instinctually, I just kind of stare back at him with this look of not knowing what this is all about. Well, I guess he took this as a non-response and quickly hit the window with the side of his fist before repeating the phrase, Where is she? The hit to the window snapped me out of whatever trance I was in and I responded back with, Dude, I don't know what you're talking about, but get the fuck away from my car. It's at this moment that the look on his face went from blank to filled with malice in a flash. He reached down for the door handle and I heard him try to yank it open. This is the first time I've ever been thankful for those automatic locks. When he couldn't get in, he took a single step back from the car before standing straight up and raising his shirt to reach into his belt line. Now, I've watched enough shows and movies to know that nothing good ever really comes from that motion. So I take this pause in the action to pull out of the spot and away from the sketchy dude. As I'm pulling off, I hear the ping of when metal hits metal, and all I can think is that this dude really just threw something at the car. A rock, a spark plug, something that tinked right off of the car. So now I'm like, great. I get to explain to my girlfriend why she's got a scratch on her car that she didn't have before. But as that thought runs through my mind, it starts to set in just what that interaction could have been about. While I played dumb in the moment, and part of it wasn't playing, I begin to think that she, that guy was referring to, had to be my girlfriend. I mean, it's her car, 
She drives it to and from school. And if this guy lives in the area, it stands to reason that he's seen her before. And while that's a bit troubling in and of itself, I'm now thinking about how I'm going to get back to my dorm because I'm pretty much going to have to walk right back by where this guy was standing and I really didn't want to deal with any more static. But as I park the car in the student lot and hop out, I'm shocked when I see the side of the car. The spot that I fully expected to have a visible scratch from a rock or whatever it was that the guy threw actually had two holes that were about an inch in diameter. Again, my first thought was, bro threw those rocks really hard. But that's when my brain caught up with me and keyed me into the fact that rocks wouldn't have made it through the exterior of the car. I was looking at two bullet holes. This guy shot at the car, hit it twice, and I had no clue. I checked myself for any holes at that point. Luckily, there were none. And that's when the next order of business presented itself. How was I going to get back home safely? Like I said, all I had were my girlfriend's keys. No phone, no means of calling anybody, and the garage is all but empty of people. I have no choice but trying to get back to my dorm being unseen by this guy. I exit the garage from the door that will put me closest to my building, doing my best to scan the area before I have to make the dash. I don't see anybody. No passerbys, not the usual people that I see on the street. Nobody. Which I see as a blessing this time. I take off down the block, running like I haven't done since childhood, in hopes of reaching that front door before being accosted. I make it, swipe the entry key, and press the door open before stepping inside. The security guard that I had seen before leaving seemed a bit surprised when I banged through the door, but after seeing the look on my face and being able to explain the situation to him, he picked up the phone at his desk and dialed the police while saying, come take a seat, man. Stay here till the cops come. They did, probably about 15 to 20 minutes later, and they got a statement from me. I told them the lead up about the shots fired and everything else I could think of. They weren't entirely dismissive of the situation, but they did seem hesitant to want to do much investigating in the dead of night. They asked if I had seen which direction the guy had gone in, but I had no clue. I asked if they wanted to see the bullet holes in the car, but they said to bring the car to the precinct the next day, and they would have the lab guys collect information then. And that was that. They gave me a copy of the report, and were on their way. I was still shaken to say the least, and when I finally make my way back up to my dorm, I find my girlfriend right where I left her on the couch sleeping. I wake her up and begin to unpack this whole ordeal. As she wakes up, I can tell that all of this isn't quite sinking in for her. Creepy guy basically asked for her. When I told him to fuck off, he shoots at her car. At me. That's when she finally asks. What did this guy look like? I tell her, worn out, early 50s, disheveled. She says, plain as day. That sounds like Craig. To which I reply, who the fuck is Craig? She explains that Craig is a homeless guy that she sees pretty regularly, 
She's given him a few bucks here and there or leftover food, and he's always been nice to her. Although, she could tell from her interactions with him that something was a bit off with Craig. He'd always ask her where she was going or when she was coming back or if he could walk with her to her destination. She always said no, but I guess recently, she had started to avoid Craig more and more because of how weird he would make her feel. As I connect the dots at this point, it seems more and more like Craig had some deranged intentions. When he saw someone get into the car, he no doubt thought that it was my girlfriend. When he made his way to the window, whatever his original ideas were, they must have changed when he saw me in there, and not her. Whether his original plan involved that firearm or not, I'll never know, but it definitely gives me chills to think about. The next morning, we took the car down to the address that the cops gave me for them to collect evidence. They found two 22 caliber bullets lodged in the trunk. Not that I needed the confirmation that I got shot at, but there you go. No cops have reached out to me further in regards to this case, so I'm kind of at a loss right now. Not sure what to do if I see Craig again. Not sure what he'd do if that situation presents itself. And while I'm happy my girlfriend didn't have to come face to face with this situation that night, I likely won't be volunteering to move any cars anymore. This really turned into a no good deed goes unpunished situation in my own opinion. We'll see where it goes from here. This is a story from my childhood, probably around the age of 10. At the time, my parents ran a construction business. They had several employees on the payroll at any given time, mostly to drive gravel or cement trucks for them. My dad is a kind but naive man who'd often hire friends of friends who were down on their luck to give them a chance to get back on their feet. It seemed like it never worked out well though, because my dad somehow always got linked up with the scroungiest of people. They had a lot of creeps over the years, but I think the worst one might have been Ron. Ron was a friend of my dad's dad, who also worked for us. Ron supposedly had an old work injury that made it difficult for him to work any job where he had to be on his feet all day. My grandpa begged for my dad to give Ron a job, and my dad finally agreed. From the day she met him, Ron made my mom extremely uncomfortable. He just had one of those weird vibes that you can't quite explain, and everyone but my dad seemed to pick up on it. My mom wouldn't let me and my younger sister around him for any length of time. We were homeschooled at the time, and my mom worked in the office, so... We were around job sites quite a bit. She kept telling my dad that we should let Ron go, but my dad wouldn't because he said that he didn't have any legitimate reason to fire him. Now, this is the weird part. Whenever my sister and I were at the office on a slow day, my grandpa would always try to get us to come over and sit with him and Ron. He would always ask, Don't you girls want to go for a ride with us in the big truck? Ron himself wouldn't speak to us. He let my grandpa handle that. We were shy kids, so we never agreed to it, but he was so damn persistent. It reached a point where it was literally every single time he saw us there. My sister and I would take turns hiding in the bathroom, 
just so that we didn't have to be around them. They'd always do it when my mom was out of the room, and they'd back off whenever she came back. My dad was never around when it happened, and I don't think that he believed it. I mean, who would want to believe that their own father is being creepy towards their grandchildren? My mom eventually had enough and told my dad that Ron had to go. A few years later, we unfortunately found out that Ron had taken a young girl out on a ride in the truck and had assaulted her. It was obvious then that my grandpa was enabling him the whole time, and I shudder to think what would have happened if my mom hadn't watched out for us. Edit. To answer a question I've seen several times here, yes. I believe that my grandpa was a sick man and had a proclivity for young girls as well, and he wasn't just an enabler. And I think deep down that my dad absolutely knew it. This is purely conjecture here, but it was a common rumor in my community growing up that my dad's dad had assaulted my aunt when she was a child. None of the family ever talked about this, other than my mom, who was a hero and would never let things go. She had always asked my dad, and he'd just say that he didn't know before changing the subject. The fact that he wouldn't immediately jump to defend his dad against accusations that are as serious as this, huge red flag in my opinion. I now have no contact with my grandfather or the rest of the side of the family. And to be honest, my life is much better for it. I'm a 27-year-old female, and at the time that this occurred, I was a senior in high school, angsty, and steadily into partying. I'm going to tell you about a former friend of mine. Let's call her Kay. Kay almost cost me my life, and I'd be happy to never see her again. A little backstory on Kay. She had grown up privileged, given anything and everything she could have ever wanted. At some point, her parents adopted her five cousins, and this is when she started to rebel. Her parents, who were well off, started to pay less and less attention to her, so Kay had all the freedom in the world. At the time that this incident occurred, Kay was 18, and I had just hit that number myself. We were headed to a kickback at these guys' house, and nothing more than a little bit of weed was expected to be there. Now, I was no angel. I had my share of smoking weed, popping pills here and there. I had just tried ecstasy the summer prior. However, that evening, I was planning on staying sober. The night began with Kay picking me up from the house. We stopped to buy cigarettes at the local 7-Eleven. I bought a big gulp, one that came with a straw and everything. This part, crucial for later in the story. We arrive at the apartment, and everyone is smoking, including Kay, but I declined. She would say things about how she never wanted to be high alone. She complained about how I never got as high as her. So, feeling a dose of peer pressure, I obliged and cleared the bong off of her hit, not even taking a full hit for myself. She asked for a drink of my soda, and I handed it to her without hesitation, although she held onto it for a good minute. I had my head turned, talking to someone at the party. When I looked back at Kay, 
and saw that she was messing with my straw, although I didn't think much of it at the time, as she handed it right back to me. Within about a half an hour or so, I start to feel intensely high, to the point that I needed to escape from the group. I go out front to smoke a cigarette, catch my bearings a little bit, only to find that I couldn't stand up. So I laid on the front porch. That's when all of these dark thoughts flashed through my mind. I felt physically ill, so sick, almost as if my stomach was being torn open. To make it worse, I still couldn't stand. I had to crawl to the bushes to throw up. I thought to myself, all of this off clearing a bong? So I laid back on the porch. The apartment was located on a busy street in the city that we lived in. I had this thought about running into traffic because I felt as if I was dying. So I gave myself two options. I could run into traffic, have a car hit me, and end this horrible pain that I was in. Or I could try to get some help. Maybe flag someone down. I don't know. My mind wasn't in the right state. I had this feeling that nobody at the kickback would take me seriously. Although I knew that something was terribly wrong. I thought about calling my mom. I must have dialed her number and hung up like five different times. But finally, I called and told her what had happened. And that I didn't know why I was so high. Nobody else seemed to be feeling the way that I felt. What seemed like an eternity later, Kay came outside looking for me. And as I'm puking my guts out into the bushes, she asked me if I wanted to go and get some food. I asked her if she was fucking serious. And all she did was laugh as I continued to hurl. What I didn't know is that my mother had called my older brother to come and pick me up, since he lived close to where I was. He showed up with a machete, ran inside, threatened pretty much everyone at the party. He didn't know who gave me what made me feel this way. It wasn't until I got home that my brother took one look at my eyes and saw just how dilated my pupils were. That's when my family rushed me to the ER, after more puking of course. My memory here is a bit fuzzy. I just remember asking my sister-in-law if I was going to die and telling her that I was scared. The nurses ended up sedating me due to the fact that I was yelling and threatening all the medical professionals around. Totally out of character for me. They did a talk screen and found MDMA, the drug found in ecstasy, along with other drugs in my system. I'm assuming the other drugs or what's used as filler when you're creating a batch of ecstasy. Now, this is all frightening and everything. However, what I found out a few days later absolutely shocked me to my core. Kay had been to a house party the next night. Somebody there had said she was passing out free ecstasy pills to four different people. Of those four that she handed the pills out to, three of them had grand mal seizures and had to be taken to the ER by ambulance. I'm assuming that whatever ecstasy she used was a bad batch. Remember when she asked to have a drink of my soda? I can only assume that this is when she dropped the pill inside, and it had quickly dissolved. She probably crushed it beforehand or something along those lines. I have no clue, but at this time in my life, I hadn't done drugs for quite a while, so it hit me even harder than it would have otherwise. Kay also went on to tell people that 
I was the one that slipped her the drug, and she had to go to the hospital. She's a pathological liar, and has had to go to therapy for a long time for several mental disorders. All of this happened because she wanted me to be high like her. I could have ended it all because I obviously wasn't in the right frame of mind. This act still affects me to this day. I know it sounds cliche, but I have a hard time trusting people. With this experience, and among other things, I also don't like sharing drinks with friends. I get scared when I go out to a bar or a club, fearing for the worst. I mean, if my own friend had done this to me, what's stopping a stranger? If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com/audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com/audio. That's carshield.com/audio.